Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Mystery Backroads. We're your hosts, Mike and Dan. And in this podcast, we will explore lesser known stories, legends, people, and places of the Buckeye State. So buckle in, here we go. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the Portage County UFO chase. The incident happened on April 17, 1966 in Portage County, Ohio, when Deputy Sheriff Dale Spa, some people say Spohr, not really sure how to pronounce his last name, maybe we'll just call him Dale. He was working the night shift with his partner, Wilbur Barney Neff. They were at the scene of an abandoned car on State Route 224. As they were looking at the car, Spa spotted a glowing aircraft rise out of a wooded area. It rose to about treetop level and began moving toward them. Spa said that on top of the craft, through the brightness of the light, he could make out a dome shape and what appeared to be an antenna. He estimated the object to be about 40 feet wide and 20 feet tall. The object made a sound like an overloaded transformer, and Spa could feel the heat radiating off of it. It slowly started to travel east down Route 224. The two deputies jumped into their cruiser and the chase was on. The incident happened about 5.07 a.m. as Spa and Neff were at the scene of an abandoned car on State Route 224. Okay, so in kind of reading between the lines here, probably a small town, relatively. Yes. Probably not a lot going on. Right. So to see an abandoned car with a UFO coming out of it or coming through the horizon or the tree line had to be a pretty surprising thing. There's a story. Part of this research I found was that the car had markings on it. I don't know if there were devil worship markings and there was some equipment, I think radio equipment or something inside the car. And they thought maybe somehow this was related to the UFO. It's an interesting sideline. So the two deputies tailed the object for about 86 miles through several Ohio counties and into Pennsylvania. They reached speeds of over 100 miles per hour, but most of the chase was averaging about 80 miles per hour, and sometimes they traveled at slower speeds depending on the traffic congestion. Certainly at this point, though, they would have been radioing their dispatch. They just told them to keep an eye on it, so they just kept chasing it. Sometimes when Spa had to stop his vehicle because of traffic, the UFO stopped as well, waiting for them to start up again. The object would rise and fall, It always stayed about a half a mile ahead of the cruiser. 
As they were chasing it, another police officer joined the chase, and the two cruisers finally pulled over in Conway, Pennsylvania at a gas station. Spa was running out of fuel. As they sat there watching the object, they noticed another police officer parked at the gas station, observing the UFO as well. At this point, the object remained stationary. Okay, so he's chasing this light. He doesn't know what it is. Right. He's chasing it through the countryside all the way to Pennsylvania. Right. When he gets to Pennsylvania, he stops out. He's almost out of fuel. Right. And I think what's good in stories like this is he's with his partner and he's with another car. So they're all seeing it. So it's not just him. Right. And there's been circumstances where I think I've seen something, but it's different when you're with somebody. It validates your story. There was a picture taken of this object. It's a blurry image. Looks like a dome, but there is a picture of it. Did he take the picture? No, the, actually the sheriff of Manaway, Ohio, I think took the picture. Okay. He got a call at his home and then I think he went outside and saw it or something. I forget exactly how he got the picture, but he got a picture of it. Like I said, it's not a very good quality picture. And I think that there's, there's a story about the negative as well, correct? The negative of the picture? An investigator from... Right, Patterson yeah, Air Force right, Base. From, ask for the picture. Was he in charge of Project, Project Blue, Blue Book? Book? I right. think so. And he wanted that. He said, "Hey, send me the negative." And this yeah. guy was dismissive of the whole story. The yeah. guy from Wright Pat. Right. He told him it was the planet Venus. And so there was no right. The planet planet Venus. You're gonna right. yeah, come on. Yeah. Follow in the car. Really? Even people in the Air Force were laughing at that right. one. Sure. Absolutely yeah. correct. You no, know, that was a pretty bad explanation. As the officers were looking at the object they heard radio chatter about jet fighters being dispatched to the scene. The UFO suddenly shot straight up into the air and disappeared as though it heard the same radio transmissions. Wow. The aftermath of the whole story is the Air Force officially claimed that they were chasing the planet Venus. The Air Force claims this? Yes, that's what their official explanation was. Do you know, so what prompted the Air Force to come out with an official explanation? Well, they were, that was Project Blue Book. Okay. Back then, the Air Force was investigating UFO cases. They investigated them up until 1969. So this was a few years before they closed their investigations on UFOs. Okay, so he sees this light, a light in the sky. And I think, wasn't the light incredibly brilliant? Yes. To the point where it was almost daylight and they didn't need their headlights, I think the story yes, goes, something yes, like that. Correct. Okay, what happens immediately afterwards? So he sees this light with these other deputies. Does everybody just kind of look at each other and go, okay, we'll never talk about this again and go home? A lot of the officers quietly bowed out. Spa remained in contact with the press. He would give interviews. He was trying to be cool about it. There exists within the pilot community, to an extent, nobody wants to talk about UFOs. Right. Because if you're seeing UFOs, maybe you're unfit for service. So do you know if that same culture and that same atmosphere existed for him? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it existed for anybody that reported a UFO that you were, you were you know, singled out and made fun of or, or harassed. And the court of public opinion can be harsh. Yes, yes. And so do you know if the public turned on him at that time? The public, yes. They, they laughed at him. They didn't believe him. You know, everybody turned against him. His, his, his wife divorced him. And really, that had to be an interesting divorce case. Like, why'd you get divorced? Oh, yeah. I saw a UFO. Yeah. Well, he, I, I guess there was a story that he was, he was getting abusive with her. Uh, might have hit her a few times. So there's probably more to the story. Oh, probably. Gotcha. He suffered an emotional breakdown. Six months after the event, he was living in Solon, Ohio, in a motel on an $80 a week painter salary. He moved back to West Virginia, and he worked in the mines. 
He fell 70 feet down a shaft and broke his back. He recovered, got his life back together, and moved back to Ohio to Rocky River. He remarried and opened a bar called The Avenue on West 65th and Detroit Road in Cleveland. And uh, he did that until he died. Wow, what a story. He's, he's buried in, in Rocky River at Lakewood Memorial Park Cemetery. Do you know if he ever backed down from the story? No, actually, it affected him to the point where while he was still a deputy, a little while after the incident, he said he was driving and he looked up and he saw the UFO again. And he called the UFO Floyd. That was his middle name. So he stopped his, his cruiser and he turned it off and he just sat there and he put his head down. And he radioed in. He said, Floyd is with me. And he sat there and he smoked a cigarette. He waited a few minutes. He looked up and Floyd was gone. Wow. So he, and he when he was also, when he, when he was in the hospital after he broke his back, the nurse said that in his delirium, he was talking about UFOs. Huh. So it really, really affected him to the point where, you know, it was in his head. I don't know if he really saw it the second time when he said he saw Floyd, you know, when he was cruising, but he saw, you know, he's just in his mind, he saw it for sure. Well, what a, what a kind of a tragic, crazy story. Here you yeah. are in the scope of your job. You're trying yeah. to help everybody. You see this UFO you can't explain. You tell your superiors and nobody believes you to the point where you ridiculed and ran out of town. And it's crazy because there was a photo of it, you know, wow. you know, there's another sideline to the story. Spa was asked to consult on Steven Spielberg's movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So if you watch the opening scene, there's a chase. There's like three cruisers, police cruisers, chasing a UFO. Huh. And they're chasing it through Ohio, and you see him get to the Ohio-Indiana border. This, obviously, is the other side of Ohio sure. in the movie. But they crash the gate. You know, Back then, they didn't have the, the pass. What's it called? The oh, the easy pass? Easy pass. Okay. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't have the easy pass. So they had those old-fashioned gates where you had to pay the guy. But you see the cruisers crash through, and the UFO flies over them. Um, and then it ends up in a crash. The, the, the cruisers crash. It's in the opening scene of the movie. But that was based on the Portage County UFO chase. Wow. So Spa was asked to be a consultant on the movie. And according to Spa's son, James, his dad walked off the set in a huff after he found out the main character wasn't a cop. That's what his son said. Well, it had to be interesting for him to be asked to consult on this movie. And this yeah. had to be a painful topic for him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm surprised he even did it, really. It's like pulling the Band-Aid off the wound a little bit. Sure. And then when you find out it's not what you thought it would be, you know, it starts all over again. Sure. And just a, a little thing about his death. A 2016 news article about Spa says that he died on April 4th, 1983. But his grave marker actually says 1984. Hmm. A Cleveland Plain Dealer obituary, there was a notice of his passing, and that appeared on May 10th, 1984. So I'm, I'm assuming he died in 1984. I don't know why the article from 2016 says he died in 1983, um, but he is buried in Lakewood Park Cemetery in Rocky River in Ohio. Do you know if any of the other officers that were with him that night, do you know if anybody ever came forward and validated his story? They quietly bowed out. Some of them actually moved out of state. I think one of them moved to Washington or something out west and became a bus driver or something. There was no need to validate it because they, you mean officers other than that weren't involved in the chase? Or what do you mean by? Almost anybody that was involved with the chase. I'm thinking, I wonder if they saw what was happening to him. 
Oh. And they thought, well, I don't want any yeah. part of that. That's, I saw just the same thing he yeah. did, but look what's happening to him. I'm, I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything. I'm out of here. One of them disconnected his phone. And like I said, the other one moved out of state. Uh, yeah, they didn't want nothing to do with it. So they, I, you're right. They saw what was happening to him, and they just quietly bowed out. Can I share a UFO story? Sure. Okay. So I grew up in Vermilion, Ohio. It's a little bit west of where we're talking about, where this event occurred. But it was in Ohio. And this would have been sometime afterwards. This would have been right around 1978. Back in those times, there weren't a lot of regulations in terms of how fast jets could go. And I think they put a ban on breaking the sound barrier because it was creating so much noise in these residential neighborhoods. You can't hard to sleep at four in the morning when you hear a sonic boom. So it wasn't unusual in those days to see planes fly from Wright Pat. They would fly up north this through Ohio, turn around over the lake, and head home. So it was kind of cool to see, as a kid, you're seeing these fast planes. So fast forward to a summer night. My sister and I were in our backyard, and it's kind of out in the country, and we're walking. It's maybe 8 o'clock at night. It's dark, and out of nowhere, these two lights appear, and they're two bright circle lights, and it, they're hovering in the sky, and it kind of looks like a Scooby-Doo episode where they're projecting something on a backdrop, but it wasn't. This was real. And it was maybe 50 feet up in there, and there's two circular white lights, if I had to guess, maybe 25, 30 feet apart. So that's the diameter of these lights. One of these lights is shining down on the ground, only one, and it's illuminating the entire ground very, very brightly. And then there was a circle of multicolored, smaller lights around it, and those lights formed a circle. So you have a circle of these different colored lights, and then two white lights, the one of them is shining down on the ground, hovering without a sound and it you just got this ominous feeling that you're sitting there standing looking at this thing and that it's somehow looking back or it knows you're there so my sister's there we're looking at each other going what is this thing it wasn't a helicopter it wasn't a plane so I ran to get my father and when I came back it was gone but just like that there was no sign, no trace of it, never saw it again, and we really didn't talk too much about it, but it kind of sounds similar to what uh, this guy is talking yeah. about. Yeah, there's some, what year was this? This would have been around 1978. Okay, there was a huge UFO flap in the early 70s, 1973, I think it was. Um, I don't know if there was anything going on in 78, but UFO flaps seem to happen every seven or eight years. One in 73, there was one a little earlier in 64, 65. You know, there was one in the late 50s, one in the early 50s. They seem to have a pattern. But maybe, maybe they coincide with the cicadas. <laughs> don't they? <laughs> maybe. Catch every year. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think as well as into the 2000s, if you go on YouTube, there's videos of unusual lights over Lake Erie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that was as late as you know, three or right. four years ago. Yes. You're going to oh, find yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah. As far as Spaw goes, or the Portage County UFO chase, there were explanations given other than the Air Force's official version of the planet Venus. Obviously, the the most popular would be that it was an alien spacecraft. That's one explanation. There, the other one, which I kind of am going with, was um, Portage County at that time was home to the Ravenna Arsenal during the Cold War. It was used for aeronautics experiments. I'm wondering if what they saw was an experimental craft. Also, there's another explanation that it was a hoax perpetrated by students at Kent State University. 
anything's possible, but how would you have pulled that off? Well, the logistics of it. There's a whole article about it. You can find it online. And it says that in the Worcester Daily Record reported that a group of boys secured an old weather balloon, an auto antenna, some transistor batteries, a bicycle light, and bottled gas to construct their saucer. A spokesman for another newspaper, the Kent Ravenna Courier, claimed that they interviewed one of the students and his lawyer. Really? He had a lawyer? Lawyer up. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, not, but the lawyer would not reveal the student's name. He added, we do know that the story is true. We now have proof that the boys did send up a balloon, which was spotted by the deputies that night. Ravenna Arsenal, an experimental craft, a hoax by some students at Kent State, a real UFO. Who knows? In fairness, if there is such a thing, your eyes can play tricks on you. And there's been circumstances where you can have 10 people witnessing the same event and you're going to have 10 completely different versions Absolutely. of the story. Yep. That's right. So kind of armed with that knowledge, it's, it's really difficult to tell. Remember the old Oprah Winfrey show? Sure. She did a little experiment uh, uh, just in that regard about eyewitness testimony. She's, before her show, she had some guy put a mask on and run through the crowd and grab a woman's purse. Okay. After that, she pulled the audience and asked them what they saw. Everybody had a different description of this guy from height to color of his hair to what he did, where he ran. Different versions, many different versions. Everybody saw the same thing but saw something different. Huh. So how reliable is eyewitness testimony, you know? And you just wonder if he wasn't a product of his times. What year was this again? 1966. So, okay, so certainly the height of the Cold War. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. And I think at this time there was a hysteria about the Russians. Oh, absolutely. They had Sputnik up in space first, and it terrified yeah. middle America. So here you have a guy seeing this UFO. We turn on him. We collectively as society say, hey, you're a lunatic. We don't want any part of you. I'm kind of exaggerating a little bit here, but it's the same thing that this is. It's a sad footnote to this that his life kind of turned out the way it did. All he did was trying to do his job. Right. Absolutely. Yep. And that's, it's, it's unfortunate because he was a good deputy from what the, his fellow officer said he was a really good, he, he did a few burnouts with his, with his cruiser, you know, in the yeah. parking lot, but he was, sure. he was pretty cool. <laughs> and you would almost expect it, a small town <laughs> right. cop, you know, doing burnouts in the parking lot. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Do you know if uh, there was any official designation? I, you said the Air Force said that it was the, the uh, planet Venus, but was it? Did they, did anybody push the Air Force to come up with an explanation? Because I think traditionally in the past, the Air Force would simply say, hey, we have no comment. Yeah. Do you know what prompted them to come up with this? Did they have to come up with an answer because the public outcry was so great that well, they were forced to come out with it? At that time, they were doing Project Blue Book, okay. which they were assigned to investigate UFO reports and give an explanation. So I think... They felt pressure that they had to figure out what it was because that was their job then. And they, I think they finally, in 1969, they closed it. They closed down the investigation. I think they just got tired of it, you know, maybe because of stuff like this. They just tired of giving explanations, but when they, they didn't even think these things existed. You know, they, like they were making fun of people, ridiculing people, you know, putting pressure on them to, to you know, make them look like idiots. You know, so I, I think they got tired of it. And you would think that at the end of the day, maybe they were tired of coming up with kind of BS excuses. Yeah. Well, there were swamp gas. <laughs> right. Swamp gas. Come on. You know, right. And how many planets can chase cars, right? right. Or Planet Venus. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So that's the story. Very good. Very good. So the epilogue to the whole thing is he, he died 
kind of holding to the story all the way to the end. To the end, yeah. Interesting. He, I don't know if he ever told the story when he owned his bar in Rocky River. I, I'd be interested to find that out if, if he was okay enough to talk about it later in his life. Yeah. I couldn't find anything on that, so I don't know. Hmm. But yeah, it, it stayed with him his whole life. What a great story. Thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to learn more about stories like this, make sure you check out the podcast Ohio Mysteries. They have a lot of excellent podcasts to choose from, everything from Missing People to the Moonville Tunnel. They have it all. Check out my partner Mike's Facebook page at Too Late for Autographs. I can be found at North Coast History and Haunts on YouTube. Thanks for listening. for listening that was another episode of ohio mysteries backroads stay tuned for more Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.